0: Welcome to On The Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and explore what the world might look like on the other side of Web3 adoption. Before we hop into the show, a quick thank you to the sponsors that make this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy around Web3, but when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Jihad from Forefront, who is a wonderful friend of mine, one of the first people that I got to co-contribute with in a DAO. So Jihad, I'm so excited to have you on the show.
1: Excited to be here. Long time coming. I'm super, super stoked to, to jam on this.
0: Before we dive into tokenized communities and all of the things, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole?
1: Definitely. So have been working full-time in crypto since mid-ish 2021, but was contributing loosely to Forefront and some other devs before that as well. I would say end of 2020, is when the switch flipped from I see crypto purely as like a speculative asset that and was just praying that number go up on my ETH, to getting exposed to like NBA top shot in the very, very early days, getting exposed to like what an NFT actually is, and realizing, hey, I think there's really something here. At that time, I was running a what we'll call a creator growth agency. So a buddy of mine had founded this company where we were just helping big YouTubers grow their audiences and make more money. We realized YouTube had a ton of analytics on the back end that folks either didn't have the expertise to, to dig into or just were intimidated by it, didn't have the time. And we were able to answer questions like, how should you be thumbnailing your videos? What should your titles look like? All the way down to like structuring full-on content calendars and coming up with like merch ideas based off of, of community activity and all that good stuff. So... That's that's sort of what I was doing at the time when I was exposed to the first whispers of NFTs and social tokens. And I was trying to pitch a lot of the creators that we were working with on maybe launching an NFT. Or at the time, I was trying to get one of our basketball creators in partnership with Top Shot. And I was just really, really bad at explaining it. And they wanted absolutely nothing to do with what I was saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, I decided, hey, there's like the crypto stuff is legit. I want to go down this rabbit hole. Um, and just started focusing more of my time on that. The company ended up getting acquired, which gave me the freedom to sort of go down the crypto rabbit hole even more, and uh, started getting involved. Like I said, with with forefront seed club and a few other DAOs early on. Then got the opportunity to go full time into crypto with the syndicate protocol, where uh, we were building tools for investment DAOs, and then early last year made the jump back to contributing full time to Forefront and have been doing that ever since, building tools and putting out media around tokenized communities.
0: I love that. And I cannot wait to dive into tokenized communities because I feel like it's a big part of Forefront's thesis. And I also think it's just a really interesting concept and framework for thinking about a lot of the things that are happening in the space. And you and I have talked a lot about tokenized communities. So maybe we can start by you just giving like a broad overview of what a tokenized community is.
1: Definitely. So maybe some context setting first too. So when I first got involved with Forefront, and this is around the time that you were getting involved as well, Chase, Forefront was all about social tokens, right? And, and social tokens, even as a term, were super poorly defined, right? There were creator tokens that fell under the social token umbrella, um, they gave you the ability to, quote unquote, invest in a particular creator. There were community tokens like the Forefront token or like the Bankless DAO token, for example, that fell under this umbrella as well. And then really anything that wasn't a a protocol or DeFi governance token was sort of pushed into the, <laughs> the social token umbrella. Um, and over time, we were trying to explore like, OK, what is actually meaningful here and, and what is just hype from, from the bull run? And we realized that the ecosystem at large is really shifting from individual to community creation. And most of the focus even around creators was focused on community tokens and finding ways that creators could coordinate and come up with new and novel economic models to coordinate. So social tokens became community tokens. But then the question was, what is the type of organization that community tokens are best coordinating? Um, and there was a lot of talk around like quote unquote social DAOs and there were all sorts of communities again that were thrown under this umbrella, Forefront being one of them, but even something like Krauss House being one of them, or Cabin DAO being one of them. This is like now like mid to late 2021. Um, FWB wanting being one of the early social DAOs. And again, people really weren't sure how we were defining these things. We just knew that we needed a distinct category from everything that was happening in DeFi and the the DAOs communities that were popping up there. Also in 2021, I guess you saw nouns DAO get founded. And that raised a lot of eyebrows simply because NounsDAO just had a ton of money and was raising a ton of money on a consistent basis. And we were like, huh, like maybe this is this model <laughs> that we should be going towards rather than whatever we have been doing over the past year or so. So at some point in early 2022, uh, the Forefront team sort of sat down and was like, we're supposedly building products for social DAOs, but we don't know what social DAOs are. And we need to come up with like a more formal definition of what the specific type of community we're going after is and why we think that community is going to be successful and why we think that type of community is uniquely enabled by the technologies that we're playing with today. So in March of last year, we published this essay called Tokenized Communities. And there are really three traits that make up what we call a tokenized community. So the first one being these communities are united by a common meme or mission. This could be something like, hey, we're going to buy an NBA team in the case of Kraushaus. All the way to like Forefront's meme is quite literally tokenized communities, right? Second, they're collectively governing capital using a token. And the type of token doesn't really matter. We're, we're not talking ERC-20s versus NFTs. It could be either. It could be both. But the, the key here is that the capital is being collectively coordinated using some sort of token on-chain. And then finally, the purpose of allocating that capital is to fund community projects. And I think that's really the part that I would love to dig into here. Like That's distinct from a protocol like Uniswap, where you're governing the protocol with a token, or maybe PleaserDAO, where you're buying artifacts. Tokenized communities are specifically focused on funding community projects that are in support of the shared meme mission, um, And that opens up a ton of doors, some that have been played with over the course of the year and... and Many, many others that I think are are still in the the realm of theory that I'm I'm excited to be continue to explore.
0: Yeah, I really like this idea that tokenized communities have these like three aspects of being meme driven, collectively governing some pool of capital using a token, and then this idea of uh, the purpose being sort of allocating that capital to fund like community projects that proliferate a meme supposedly. I'm curious when you think about what community projects that proliferate a meme actually mean, I feel like my brain goes like a bunch of different ways. You know, you could consider um, a lot of the projects that have come out of nouns as proliferating the meme. And I think most of them have done that. Um, But you also have projects that like don't directly proliferate the meme and more so fund the ecosystem as a whole. And so – I'm curious how you think about the alignment there and what's actually required for something to be considered like a community project. Like what does that even really mean?
1: Yeah, so I think both of those terms are purposefully broadly defined on our end. So let's we could start with like meme and proliferation of the meme. Um, in the case of nouns though, like the meme is, is quite literally just those glasses, right? There's a lot of conversation and debate about what those, those noggles stand for. Some people are like nouns... Like does good in the world, whatever that means. And some people are like nouns, funds, public goods, whatever that means. And it's like, okay, cool. In reality, it's just like proliferating this visual brand. And nouns Dow could sort of get away with that because of the money that is already like funneled behind the project and also the novelty of it. Right. They were the first ones to push forward this model. And as a result, at least like I personally don't believe they need to get more specific with their meme, they can get away with something really, really broad, just riding the novelty wave. On the other hand though, like let's go back to Kraushaus. Kraushaus' meme is actually like a very specific yet extremely ambitious mission of buying an NBA team. And under that meme is not just all of the specific actions that need to be taken in order to purchase an NBA team, But more broadly, it is this intersection of Web3 and sports. And their belief is that by working and funding community projects at this intersection, they are building legitimacy as an organization that would then allow them to achieve their end goal. But even if they don't achieve that end goal, simply funding these community projects makes them a valuable organization that people want to be a part of. And then you could look at something like, let's just say... I said forefront as like the meme of tokenized communities, so this is probably like a very tangible example. But our meme is kind of meta in that like the thing that we are talking about right now is also the thing that forefront is trying to push forward. But forefront as an organization is trying to steward this ecosystem, and we do sort do so to, through media. We do so to, through building tools. Um, so going to the question of community projects and what does that mean? It's really anything that your community is working on that is pushing forward your meme or mission in whatever way you see fit, right? For Forefront, it's like, okay, if we want this ecosystem to actually grow, we need to be to build tooling for this ecosystem to become more accessible and more enjoyable to, to be a part of, right? So we're building that tooling. We're also putting out media that is explaining a lot of things that you and I are talking about right now for folks who might be interested in it, right? From Kraushaus' perspective, it's everything from a venture DAO where they're investing in, in projects at the intersection of web three and sports all the way to like building a basketball court at NFT events just to get people excited about this intersection and for nouns doubt, it's, it's literally everything. So I think the reason that these things aren't super rigid is because at the end of the day, like these communities should and can do whatever they want. And these three traits that we've defined are what we believe are the bare necessities in order to make these organizations sustainable while also doing whatever they want and, and what they find to be fun.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting when we think about a lot of these things where my brain sort of goes to this question of like, to what end? I think Krauss House pushing this meme around buying an NBA team and doing these specific community projects oriented around that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of interesting I think as you get more simple in your meme like nouns the question starts to become okay well what's your end goal like is it to like actually maximize the value of this IP like I think my brain starts to get into this question of like okay so we have these tokenized communities why are we doing it and it feels like the default answer to a lot of this stuff is this idea that a lot of these things are investments. You know, buying a noun is to some degree an investment because you're funding community projects, you're proliferating the meme, and the idea is that that value – that is growing is actually accruing back to whatever it is that you're using to govern that capital in the first place. Um, In the case of nouns, it would be the, the noun NFT. And so I'm curious how you think about that aspect of tokenized communities where it's like, okay, cool. These things are fun, but like, why are we doing them ultimately? And particularly for some of these memes that are a little bit more broad, like why are people participating in this and what's the end game?
1: This is a really good question. I think like a good parallel here is just traditional brands. So when we think about something, let's just use like GQ as an example. GQ is broadly relevant to men's fashion. But even that, like what does that mean? What is the specific point of view that they are pushing forward? I don't really think most people could tell you. It's just like this prestige that is associated with this broad brand of men's fashion. Then there are tons of other more specific men's fashion brands. Maybe they're focused on like men's fashion, but like for fitness bros in Chicago, right? And there's like zines that come out and there's like a small community of people who are really pushing that forward. That's still, still like a very legitimate brand. And people might buy into that brand for status, but the status that comes with it is very limited. You are buying status in this small niche community, not like the larger world whereas with GQ if you're on the cover of GQ you're just like you're that guy right nobody really knows why you were on the cover of GQ other than <laughs> maybe you are you are fashionable and attractive but and like at the end of the day that comes with with status um as a result of the prestige that is associated with the brand so zooming out a bit i think you could say the same thing for for something like nouns right like What does nouns actually stand for? Well, you could throw a bunch of buzzwords out there, but in reality, the specific point of view isn't clear. What is clear is that as a result of the money that has been thrown around nouns and its OG status, nouns as a status symbol in and of itself. And holding a nouns NFT is a status symbol. And some might argue that, yeah, you're holding onto it because you think the number might go up in the future. But I would argue that that's like a secondary or tertiary reason that you hold the NFT in reality, you're holding the NFT, A, because, because of the status that comes with it, and B, the ability to meaningfully flex, not just by like making it your PFP, but also by dictating, in part, how the treasury is going to be allocated. You get to flex your voice in this case. And again, as the brands get more specific, so when we're talking about something like Blackhand, Blackhand is a esports DAO started by our friend Sursu that popped up on Nouns Builder recently. Holding a Blackhand NFT, yes, gives you status in like the niche community that is like Web3 and esports and people who know about Blackhand. But really, I bought that NFT because I want to be able to flex my governance muscles in deciding what the direction of this community is going to be. I don't actually think that Blackhand is going as an NFT is necessarily going to appreciate over time. And we can talk about that a little bit more in the context of like the perpetual auction mechanism and why I don't think that's like a great mechanism for appreciation as an like an investment asset. But when we look at like the reason that VCs maybe are buying a Nouns NFT or any NFT in a tokenized community, I would argue it's less so because they think it's going to appreciate over time, although that's, again, part of it, and more so because they want to be able to dictate how funds are allocated. Maybe in the VCs case, it's like, hey, I'm holding this NounsDAO token so that if one of my other portfolio companies puts up a proposal for NounsDAO, I'm able to help push that forward.
0: Now that's where I think things get really interesting is like you could start to see how this can play out in culture and other spaces as well, where you actually start to assign this like monetary value to trust in a weird way. And I guess an example that comes to mind for me is like, let's say I have several nouns, enough to actually influence the community in like a pretty heavy way. And I want nouns to, you know, partner with my specific brand. Like That becomes a really powerful way for me to bootstrap a brand by leveraging that control, which I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if that's positive in general. I'm curious how you think about things like that, where we have these like weird sort of second order or third order effects of governance, power, and control that you might not anticipate.
1: Yeah. Like, to your point, like in a lot of ways, you are – by purchasing an NFT or by purchasing a governance token in one of these tokenized communities, you are purchasing political capital when we think about political capital traditionally, we think about it in the context of like governments, right? Like you are buying political capital by lobbying at your Senator or you're buying political capital by donating to a a super PAC or whatever. I don't know. But again, that's like really been confined to governments and large corporations up until this point and buying political capital in culture up until this point has been much more illegible, right? It's not to say it wasn't possible. It's not that you couldn't buy your way into clout prior, but now there's like a very direct mechanism to say like, hey, if this brand is cool and there's a tokenized community that is helping to govern and steward this brand, I'm able to buy into it and actually have like meaningful say in where this brand is going to go. Whether we think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not quite sure. I think it's, we're, we, we're yet to see how it really plays out. I think it's exciting because you're giving people more avenues to actually participate both financial and non-financial, but just because there's optionality doesn't necessarily mean that all of that optionality is positive. I think there's a reason that we have seen these sorts of mechanisms so far be constrained to like very crypto-native culture. Part of that is just because the UX is, is very, very poor and onboarding mainstream folks is is not really possible given <laughs> all that is needed to, for example, participate in an auction. At the same time, though, I think the other reason of that is people aren't super attracted to the idea of the financialization of and investing in culture unless they're in it for purely financial gains. And I think Mm. this is a really interesting conversation we could have. But like from your perspective, I'm curious when you buy or if you were to buy an NFT in a tokenized community. What are your motivations behind doing so, right? Like if you were to go buy a noun right now, what would your motivations be behind doing so? Because I think we can come up with five or six or seven potential motivations, but from the outside looking in, it very much looks like there's only one and it's speculation in the culture.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like when I think about buying some sort of asset that is associated with the tokenized community, my initial thought is I want to buy it because it is a signal for who I think I am or how I want people to see me and how I express what I'm interested in and what I care about. I mean, I even think about this when I collect NFTs on Mirror. Like For me, it's honestly less about patronage than it is about Um, showing the type of thing that I'm interested in. And obviously that's not directly tokenized community, but I think in some ways it's similar. I think where things get challenging for me when I think about it in this context is often like if you want to signal that you're part of a subculture, and this might be wrong, but the way that I see it is that it's kind of rare that you're able to signal that through pretty much like money alone. like You can't usually just acquire an asset and then become part of a subculture. I think it's much more common that you learn the rituals of a subculture and you learn the aesthetic of it and you start to sort of take that on. Um, in the way that I think Toby Shoren talks a little bit about in his Life After Lifestyle essay, which if anyone hasn't read it, would highly recommend it. Um, but like you you sort of immerse yourself in this culture and that's how you become part of that in-group and that's how you signal to people in that in-group that you're part of it and outside of that in-group that you're part of it. And so I don't know. There's something that's kind of like weirdly cheap about the idea that you can just buy into an asset and that becomes your identity. Like the, something about that I think I struggle with and it's I think partially why we've also struggled to see some of this stuff go outside of crypto native spaces because like having a lot of eth in the crypto community like to me as much as I think nouns is amazing if someone acquires a noun part of what they're telling me is I have an ass load of eth like that's what I'm getting from that you just um, Yeah exactly so that's cool and all but like it's not to me um a repli- rep- replicatable – I don't know how you say that word, but a model that can easily be repeated because like it's kind of a cheap way to signal that you're part of an in-group. I think it's cool to have governance power and and all of that. Ultimately though, like I'm – and maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority, but I think a lot of the reason that I acquire assets is much less to do with governance and much more to do with conveying who I am, especially when it's something that's like you know, for uni, this is not the case. Like that would be that would definitely be either a speculation play or a governance play. But I think like there's an interesting relationship between this idea of for the most part, people acquire assets because they're speculative, and the idea that also what the way to buy these assets is with money. Like you really can't do it with these other intangible things, which is kind of challenging.
1: I think that's that's a really good transition into like this value conversation around tokenized community. Like I think externally. People often look at tokenized communities to your point and they just see a Ponzi, right? They're like, (laughs) people need to keep buying (laughs) this token in order for the number to go up and for the treasury to replenish. And therefore you need more and more whales to come in and buy the token. And the only reason that a whale usually is going to buy the token is either a to buy themselves some clout, which is again, as you said, a pretty cheap way of building reputation. Um, or B, because they want to speculate on the asset. And in many ways, those two reasons are the only reasons that people are participating in a lot of these communities. Like, look at Now and mm-hmm. Style. Really, their only business model right now is the perpetual auction mechanism, and the perpetual auction mechanism is incentivizing the status game, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think even if we go back to Toby's essay on life after lifestyle and subcultures, which I agree, like, please, please, please read that if you haven't read it, Um, there's still, like, this really big component of status and status games in the subculture, right? Like, inevitably, people are going to try to build status in the subcultures that they're a part of. And even if part of that or the major part of that is going to be taking action and, like, taking on these rituals or, you know, subscribing to certain opinions that your subculture subscribes to inevitably, a large part of it is also just going to be financial, right? Like, do I have the money to be able to play the game the way that others are playing the game? So others have looked at the nouns down mechanism and said, oh, crap, they're making a lot of money and have tried to replicate it. But I don't actually think that people are like meaningfully thinking about how should my culture or my subculture or my meme or my mission be proliferated and what is the best economic model that surrounds that in order to proliferate it? Because again, if we go back to the definition of a tokenized community, like my personal belief is that as long as they're governing capital using a token, and that again, the token is important because it gives you that unlocks the power of, of crypto and Web3 and all that that has to offer. And then second of all, you're allocating capital towards community projects, which creates this rich ecosystem of participation and diversity of thoughts. Um, Then as long as those things are happening, it doesn't matter how you were making money for the ecosystem. And it doesn't matter what membership looks like in the ecosystem, right? So I guess two things there then, A, if we look at most quote unquote nounish DAOs in the market today, most of them are kind of flopping, right? They've sort of just like taken this uh, perpetual auction mechanism (laughs) and said, hey, we're going to run with it. They don't have the hype or the interest from whales. They don't have that speculation to sustain a perpetual auction that could build a meaningful treasury. The most successful Mm -hmm. communities on Nouns Builder right now, for example, are those that have formal or informal backing from Zora and the builder.com community, right? They're able to sort of latch onto the hype that Zora has. And as a result, they're making some more money. So this is our whole thesis at forefront, right? Tokenized communities, fund community projects, community projects, give folks meaningful input into the formation of this brand. And then these communities become sustainable by finding ways to close the loop and profit off the success of these projects. But membership can look like, Maybe you're giving on-chain revenue. Maybe you're sharing equity. Maybe you're subscribing in like a traditional media sort of way. Maybe you bought an open edition NFT that is completely non-speculative. There are so many other opportunities to define membership in these communities that still fits under this definition. And I think that's where we need to meaningfully explore. Because if we're not exploring there, we're sort of trapped, as you said, in this very cheap model of membership in subcultures. That is dependent on just like rich people get to be cool and, and poor people don't. And that's that's just not fun, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not something that most people want to be a part of.
0: And it's not even cool. And I think that's part of what's challenging in crypto. Like it might be cool to people in crypto, but people outside of crypto like don't think it's cool. <laughs> you know, like that's what's so interesting is even when capital is abundant and rich people in their in-groups, Think, oh, this is going to be a status symbol. Like to a lot of other people, that's actually like a red flag and like a negative symbol. Like, wow, you spent half a million dollars on a board ape. Yeah, no, loose. I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure we're going to get along. So there's like an interesting element there too. Um, but I love this idea. Also, it sounds like you're kind of making the point that like the nouns model is great, but like that's only the beginning of what's possible with tokenized communities. Is that a fair way? summarize part of how you're thinking about that
1: no 100 and that's sort of why we felt like a new term was necessary right like i don't think tokenized communities is the best term and if anybody listening has a better term to define those three traits that i (laughs) that i described please hit me up and let me know but like the reason that we're pushing that is because there's all this discourse around nouns and nounish DAOs, and that's where a lot of the activity is in the space which is great we're supporting that we're building that for that and we're pushing that But there are so many other opportunities in the ecosystem that still fall under this broader umbrella. And I think putting a word behind that just opens people's eyes to say, hey, like, it's not all nouns all the way down. And we can get a little bit more creative and have a little bit more fun with how we're doing these things.
0: Mm, Yeah, I really like that. And I also think like there's something interesting to exploring what it means to have governance assets that aren't bought at all, like something that is kind of unrelated but interesting is um, Seed Club did their like club goods drop, which had amazing pieces. Like they had a sweatshirt that's insanely cool. I think there's a t-shirt, which I think you got you had. Like we have been raving about this for months. But the interesting thing about that was actually that you had to own a certain amount of club token in order to have access to that drop. And since getting my sweatshirt, I've had so many people compliment me on it and be like, how do I get one of those? And what's interesting is like, the only way to do it is to acquire a club and then, like, order the sweatshirt. So um I think there's something interesting to having these, like, mechanisms around not just governance but also access and these, like, layers where it's not just such an overt – Uh, transaction where it's like you buy asset, you get this. And instead, you start to craft these like experiences around these assets, which I think can mean access to things like Club Good Drops. But I also think it can be like creating and crafting more interesting governance experiences like what does it look like to do governance over TikTok? I just think I think there's something really interesting about sort of taking this tokenized community idea and um, abstracting away some of the like very explicit transactional relationships that we've had so far in crypto and starting to play around with new environments and contexts that I think would probably change the feel of a lot of these things.
1: Which is so funny because if if you were to say those words to literally anybody outside of crypto, I feel like that would be immediately obvious to them. <laughs> <You're But> right. <laughs> for some reason for folks in crypto, there's an aversion to that thinking because number does not go up, right? Mm. Like, because the history of governance tokens have been purely speculative in a lot of ways um there's an aversion to creating governance tokens that are not going to make people money in the long run and there's i think there's two reasons for that a it's it's the historical context and then b it's the fact that VCs are investing in governance tokens because mm-hmm. these communities up until this point haven't had sustainable economic models where they're able to like self fund And as a result, you take VC money and you're like, oh, crap, like number must go up. Um, And we're seeing this first gen, like this is the first generation of communities, I'd say in the last four to six months, that has actually come to light and been able to say, hey, we're not going to take VC money. And we're not rooted in this like crypto tradition of of governance tokens must go up. We're just here to build something really, really cool that people want to be a part of. Right. Mm. Um, And we're using this tokenized community model as a model to do that because A, it gives us like flexibility around how we are like incentivizing participation, but also B, because it is a sustainable economic model for community interaction that otherwise would have been either A, purely volunteer work or B, like governed completely by whales. So... Yeah, I think a lot of folks would agree with you, Chase, that like, yeah, we should be experimenting with more fun governance through like media and TikTok. We should be thinking through like earning uh, tokens. But like it doesn't need to go as extreme as having a quote unquote soul bound token. Like maybe you earn a token and you can still sell it if you want. But in reality, the secondary market isn't going to be that liquid because nobody actually wants to sell because they want to continue to be a part of the community. That's mm. a realistic option, right? Um Like, there are all of these different things that we could think through. And I think people have thrown the idea out and either been too scared to push it forward because they're like, oh, if nobody's tried this up until this point, it's probably not a sustainable model. Or they fall into the trap of wanting numbers to go up and they're like, hey, everybody else made bank on this. I could probably make bank on it too if I just mint a token and and rug people or or whatever.
0: (laughs) whatever, Mm -hmm. I will say... On the note of minting a token and rugging people or even getting like obsessed with number go up, one dynamic before we wrap up that I really want to talk about that I think is like an interesting one that some of the tokenized community stuff does remind me of. So after uh, the creation of Ethereum and in like the 2017 um, bull market, you saw a lot of layer ones pop up. You saw EOS, um, you saw... A bunch of different uh, blockchains pop up even in the years after that, um, especially around applications that were like, okay, we can't scale on Ethereum. We're going to build our own layer one. And I think a lot of the reasoning for that was just that the economic incentives always make sense for these projects, at least where we are now or where we were then, to start an infrastructure layer where people are building on top of your protocol instead of being the you know final consumer app layer that people are interacting with. I think that's gotten better over the last couple of years, but I still think that's a dynamic that we see a lot. And I think that's part of why we see so many infrastructure projects and very few um, companies or projects actually building on top of that infrastructure. And part of me wonders if that same dynamic partially plays out in the tokenized community space, where like you are always going to be incentivized to own the meme as opposed to the derivatives on the meme. Um, and so they're, you know, if if it follows the same trajectory, always going to be these projects that like basically um want to own that base layer if you consider a tokenized community the equivalent of infrastructure. Do you feel like that's a, a fair analogy? Do you think that's a dynamic that we might see play out? Does that even make any sense?
1: I So I, I saw this tweet once where somebody referenced the the fat noun thesis and they refused <laughs> to explain it to me. Um mm, but I it's I, similar,
0: to, I would guess.
1: I sort of got the gist that it's it's sort of what you're describing right here, right? Where like mm-hmm. people want to own the base layer the noun token rather than everything that is built on top of nouns. Cause all that value will accrue. Like if, if all these projects that are being funded by nouns are cool, theoretically nouns become more valuable and the brand becomes more valuable. And therefore I want to hold a token. Right. I wrote a blog post at the end of last year, sort of unintentionally um, negating that I would say. So my belief is that cultures are not static. And subcultures are constantly trying to capture semantic territory. What I mean by that is like, if I say I'm a public goods DAO and you say you're a public goods DAO, if we don't have specific points of view around like our differences in opinion around public goods, inevitably, we are going to be competing for attention, right? Um, That term can only mean so many things. And as a result, we are all going to be trying to like Tweet about public goods and associate it with our brand versus your brand and and whatever it might be. As a result, I think most tokenized communities are going to be forced to have very specific points of view and niche down as much as possible. And that niching down might happen at the product level, like community projects that are being funded. Or it might happen at the community level, where it's like these communities are going to have more and more specific points of view in order to adequately differentiate themselves from other communities who are sort of in the same general lane. Um, I think long term, what that means is A, that's really bad for communities like Nounsdale, unless they have a specific point of view. Um, I don't think they're going to be long- term sustainable because people are always going to find more resonance in something that's a little bit more specific and close to home to them. And then B, from a product perspective, I think what that looks like is people are going to build more niche products that are suiting certain communities. And in this culture of open source building, where a lot of these like products maybe don't have business models, they are just funded by the tokenized communities as a public good to those tokenized communities and, their, and the ecosystems that they're supporting. Um, I think what that means is a lot more creative and interesting software and creative and interesting projects that otherwise would not have gotten built if it wasn't for this specificity. So to your point, Chase, like I think actually rather than it going the direction of everybody wanting to hold the base token. I think that might still be true, but the base token is not going to be like nouns, for example. I think it's going to get more and more and more specific over time as these communities are trying to push forward their unique points of view. Um, and I think it is going to be up to these communities to articulate those unique points of view um, in whatever ways possible, whether it is through the funding and building of community projects or through like very explicit media and manifestos and whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And in some ways, even then is a parallel to some degree where like all these blockchains differentiated themselves in some ways, but but I really like that perspective on it. Um, One last question before we wrap up. What do you see, and this is very general, but like 10 years from now, where do you see this this concept of tokenized communities? Do you think like most of the internet is going to be these little sub pockets of tokenized communities. Do you think it'll still be very niche? Do you think we'll even use the term tokenized communities?
1: To answer that last question, I I hope we're not still using the term tokenized community, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the experiments that Reddit is doing with community points on subreddits is sort of a, uh, a peek into the future here. Like, I don't think this is going to look very nationalistic where everybody is going to be a part of their tokenized community or their three tokenized communities. And it's just going to be like, these are my communities. Those are your communities. Right. I think it's going to be a lot more flexible. Like as I'm getting involved in a certain ecosystem or a certain community or a certain idea or a certain point of view, um, I want to contribute to the development of that thing. Um, And the way that I could do that is through ownership of a governance token and money going to a treasury that is then collectively governed by the community. And in a lot of ways, we might not even realize that's happening, right? Like with subreddits, I think what's really interesting is those community points, at least at first, are not going to be purchased. They are going to be earned. And then by earning those community points, I am able to govern the treasury of that particular subreddit and govern whatever rules of the subreddit that we want to put forward to vote. The, the cool thing about that is like, you still need to come up with alternate revenue models. And, and like we sort of touched on here, there are alternate revenue models outside of ser- simply purchasing the governance token. But when you're just participating in internet communities in the way that we always have, and then you layer on this idea of like, okay, now you can govern and throw resources towards community projects that maybe would not have gotten funded if it didn't have the, the validation and the, the financial or moral support of the community. I think you're like 10xing or 100xing the creativity that we're going to see on the internet and the opportunity for people to build and, and push forward these points of view. So to, to summarize, I think they will not be called tokenized communities. A lot of times we might not even realize that we are earning tokens on a blockchain, at least not in the near future to, to onboard mainstream folks. But I think it is going to 10 or 100x the fun of participating in online communities because not only are we going to be able to upvote and comment and and push forward our point of view, but we will be able to build and create and share and and do new things that we otherwise would not have been incentivized to do if it wasn't for this collective coordination around the shared treasury using the common token.
0: Yeah, I really love that. And I keep saying one last question, but this really is my one last one that I should have asked you earlier. What is the difference between a tokenized community and a DAO?
1: Good question. Um, my current answer to that is a tokenized community is just a subset of a DAO. So, DAOs are like this broad umbrella term um, for communities that are using blockchains to govern things. Um, some of them might be, again, protocols, like in the case of Uniswap, Pleaser DAO is like collecting assets, Constitution DAO tried to buy the Constitution. We could debate on like whether or not any of these examples that I gave are DAOs, but I think tokenized communities specifically, I would say, are DAOs that are funding community projects in support of a common beamer mission. So it is a subset, and I think a lot more communities are sort of going to tend this way as we realize that most people aren't actually interested in governing the, um, you know, the decks that they're using but they are very interested in governing their communities, their memes, their sports teams, their their whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Cuz I could also see a world in which DAOs are a subset of tokenized communities, depending on how you define capital um in your Ooh. point around collectively governing capital, like there's a world in which actually DAOs are just a very specific type of capital or like way of thinking about governing capital and tokenized communities are actually this more broad term, especially because I think oftentimes, you know, there's this like big movement towards saying a lot of things that we call DAOs are not DAOs um, because DAOs have these very specific traits that people think they should have. Whereas like tokenized communities, I think are less opinionated as as a broad term on how these things are governed, at least in my view of the way that you define them. And so I think there's an interesting world in which a lot of the things that we call DAOs today are actually tokenized communities. Um, like probably all of the things we see in the crypto ecosystem are tokenized communities. Only some of them are DAOs.
1: You know, it's funny because you're probably right. But unless we have a shared definition of DAO that we are working with, it is impossible to answer this question. Um <laughs> And unfortunately, nobody has a shared definition of DAO that we're working with. I think like one of the, the the other reason that tokenized community became like a thing for Forefront was the frustration around like, oh, we're building for DAOs. What is a DAO? I don't know. And Mm. then we would just like fall down the rabbit hole and like debate about like, oh, this is a DAO. This isn't a DAO. We're building for this. We're building for that. Really, obviously, like this is the type of organization, the type of community, the type of network that we were most interested in as a team, especially for like myself coming from like a creator economy background and then making my way into crypto, like this is what is exciting for me. But I think another big reason was just like definitions are important. Even if you don't agree with the definition, stating what definition you're working under when you are putting out all that you are putting out, I think is really, really important to get people to understand what you are doing. And the term aside, I think we should just be more specific about what we are talking about all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, and it also serves a purpose, right? Like you're talking about semantics and ownership over a certain narrative. Yeah, Owning tokenized communities makes a lot of sense for Forefront in general. So we love to see it. That's that's the plan. Um, Well, this was wonderful. I'm so glad we got to dive into tokenized communities. It's been a long time coming. Jihad, where can people learn more about you, Forefront, and tokenized communities?
1: Definitely. Thank you so much, Chase. I'm like when you sent me the text and you were like, "You want to be on the podcast?" I was stoked. I am. I am a big fan. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at J A and then my last name, Esmail E S M A I L. Forefront. You could find it at forefront underscore underscore or at forefront market is the domain. And yeah, DMs are open. If you wanna chat about any of this, if you wanna completely disagree with me, you wanna fight me, I can give you my address as well. <laughs> and, uh, I will I will be open to all of those things.
0: That's the first time a, a closing of the show has had an open invitation for fighting physically. So Gotta congratulations.
1: Have <laughs> around and <to> find out.
0: <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Chase.
0: If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.